Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week, Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. We're broadcasting every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. How are you today, Kim? I'm pretty good, aside from little winter head cold, which seems to be going around. But other than that, doing doing very well, thank you. You still, We can still talk wine when you have a cold, right? We certainly can. Okay. And uh, as our, our listeners probably know we we record every week or every other week so right now we are recording in january and we are trying to do a little bit of a dry january or a drier january in my house but i felt like today i needed a glass of red wine so this is my first glass of red wine of the new year good believe it or not there's a big push we'll have to maybe talk about that in a future episode there's i see a big push this year for the dry january a lot of non-alcoholic beverages coming out and promotion of low alcohol and no alcohol wine. Yeah, I was going to say there uh, are some definite new products out there on the market for if people are doing a a dry January or are just trying to uh, perhaps cut a little bit of their alcohol intake uh, as their New Year's resolution or just for their general health. We'll follow trends to see if people did definitely, if they cut back or not, we'll know by the the trends in the wine world. Yeah, that's so we'll, right. We'll report on that as well. So for our first article, Kim, we're going to talk an article that was in Demarge. Is that, we, we went back and forth how to say this, but Demarge.com, D-M-A-R-G-E.com. And it was an article that said, experts bust the romantic wine myth you probably still believe. And when I first read it, I thought, okay, here we go. It's going to be something really out there, right? But it was talking about the fact that wines are meant to age and mm-hmm. the kind of the myth behind that. And we, we've touched a lot on this in the past, Kim, but I thought it was interesting how they looked at this as a romance part of wine that people might not know about. I actually liked that take on it because I teach about wine and I think about wine and I have a conversation with people about history and marketing and all of these things that go into wine appreciation that are not the actual flavor of the wine, this idea of romance of wine, I think is really something that people might not necessarily think about, but is there when we, you know, when we think about how our perception of how wine is made, right? Like we've talked about additives or not, or the whole idea of getting your hands dirty and it's a product that's born in the vineyard, you know, just look at the visuals that are around wine marketing and wine commercials, especially, I think with like, you know, someone is walking through a grape, you know, (laughs) this whole field of grapevines at sunset and it's all beautiful and this whole romantic thing. And I think that that is a big part of people's perception of wine is this romanticization of a lot of different aspects of it. And, uh, and, and this one in particular that, that um, this article was talking about, I think really plays into that. And they based it all on a tweet. And the tweet was this, it said in quotes, you know, 99% of wine 
should be consumed the same day you buy it or shortly after. And they're basing the whole romance and the myth of, of based on that, that once it's bought. And, and we've talked in the past also that we've saw a stat where most of the wine that is bought is consumed within two hours of it being purchased. So that kind of goes one? along. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, think we kinda... debunked that one last summer. <laughs> well, it was close most to of it is yeah made it's consumed fast so i think that's what this is based on and then it said the percentage of high quality to low quality store sh- shelves can kind of be t- be determined by that my take on this is we talk about that 90% we see on the store shelves is made by big corporations and then mm-hmm. that 90% that they're making I interpret as they make it to be consumed right away. And I think that that is absolutely true. And when you think about, there have been certainly times where we have discussed as far as from a sales perspective, what is the percentage of the market that is wine in a certain price point? So we will often talk about, well, this much wine in this price category is sold. And as you get higher up the price scale, that percentage gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're looking at the vast majority of the wine that is sold in quantity is in that under $20 price range or even in that under $15 price range. And it just goes with that style and that segment of the the wine population, not population, but you know those bottles that they are meant to be consumed young and you really don't want to hang on to them because they are every day, not necessarily fine wines, but not saying that they're bad wines either. You know, they can be really good quality, just not things that you need to hold on to for them to taste at their best. They're really meant to be you know, honestly consumed when you get them home. So I don't think that there's anything crazy world shaking about this information, but I think it's something that people don't necessarily think about because you have that, like you were saying, that romantic ideal that, oh, wines should be aged. But the reality is that they, a lot of them really don't have to be. And that's kind of the romance behind it. You buy a wine to celebrate something. It's it's at that moment, right? So it's it's not to not something you want to buy and you're putting it away. You want to celebrate something, you you do it right away, right? You're drinking that wine, kind of how I relate it to romance. Hmm. But for our listeners, they gave a stat saying only 5 to 10% of wines will improve with one year of age and only 1% improves with five years of age. So the vast majority you're seeing on the store shelves is not meant to be put down and aged, which we've always talked about in the past, right, Kim? I mean, But I I also think that it's important to say like, okay, 1%. 1% of what? You know, is it 1% of total volume or is it 1% of every single label out there in the market? And I think that that, could be an important distinction because if you see, say, 10 bottles of wine in a store, let's say it's teeny tiny, and one one. bottle that's at $10 sells 10 times the amount of the bottle at $50, what are we talking about? Are we talking about two wines or are we talking about 10 times a certain amount. So I, I think that it's important for people to understand that, you know, we're talking about total volume here and not right. of the, you know, different types of wine that are out there and available on the mar- in the market. So relate that to, say, a big box or a supermarket shopping. 
Kim, for, for wine. How, sure. 1% of the supermarket shelf, I believe, in that setting is ageable wine. Right. Would you agree a, with that? I would say that 1% of the total volume of the wines that are in right. the supermarket are okay. meant for aging. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm on Yeah, the I'm thinking volume. Yeah. That That's what makes sense to me because I think it's probably easier to quantify total sales by volume because that's when when we see that raw data in figures you're not talking about total number of SKUs or total number of wineries or vineyards or brands we're talking about volume we always get those right. numbers in volume so that's why i think that um that they're talking about total gajillions of liters <laughs> of wine right. that are sold every single year so let's give some examples of short-lived wines or long-lived wines. We've touched on this before, but I thought it would be good. You can also base this on a, on a grape type or you can base this on a price range, correct? Absolutely. What and and I feel like this is one of those loaded questions because you know when people ask the question of how long can you keep a wine, it's hard for us because we're like, it depends on the wine. And then it gets really complicated. You know, there's no simple answer to this question because you can have a grape variety or a region in a less expensive price point that maybe will age a little bit better than a more expensive bottle that is made in a different style or from a different grape variety. So, you know, say you have a $15 bottle of Bordeaux or $15 bottle of Cabernet from California, that wine may age longer and better than a $30 bottle of rosé from Provence. So even though you've spent more money on that rosé, it's still in five years time might not be standing up to how much time has gone by as that less expensive bottle of red. Right. It's a good point. But, you know, just based on varietals, like what would you say is something you see on a shelf you just you don't want to, you know, it's it's the romantic thing of picking it up for that night, but you don't want to say pick it up and forget about it and put it down. So, you know, for me, I'm thinking like whites like Pinot Grigio, reds mm -hmm. like Pinot Noir, some inexpensive Pinot Noirs, yeah. obviously. Yeah. That's so like the lighter, generally the lighter the wine, the less it's longevity is going to be. So those lighter white wines, and I mentioned rosé a minute ago, some rosés certainly can age. They're not going to fall apart necessarily within a year. And I think that's another one that sometimes people argue over. But my general rule of thumb is if it's pink or white and it's less than, say, $15 a bottle, that is meant for pretty immediate consumption. And I really wouldn't hold on to it for too long. I mean, it's not going to hurt you if you age it. It's just not going to necessarily taste the way that it's supposed to taste. And I would say that that holds true for something like Prosecco as well. Don't necessarily want to keep those wines for any amount of time. They're, they're meant to be consumed when they're fresh and fruity and have good bubble in them. And you, you don't really want to sit on them for very long. For me and the listeners, Kim, when you hear wine and romance, what do you think of? What in the wine world or related to wine makes you put those two together? So for me, it's what I was mentioning earlier, where it's this idea of the production of wine is all bucolic plants and leaves and you're in touch with nature and the soil. And that for we have this, I think, idea that making wine is a 
a more natural process than maybe it is. But that's my perception of the romantic nature of wine as opposed to maybe you're thinking Valentine's Day romantic. So that could be a completely different way of uh, of looking at it and having maybe a really nice special bottle of wine with your uh, with your sweetheart on Valentine's Day. Is well, that the direction what, you're going in? No, that's what I wanted to bring it back to. I know you, you mentioned it earlier and you were saying we always talk about people though we kind of ruin the romance of the wine. We talk about yeah, all the geekiness and <laughs> <laughs> All the gross stuff that can be involved in the additives and chemicals and this and that. But I mean, that's the wine world. But to me, it all comes to the same thing. It's the story, right? Yeah. It's the story of how it's made or how it's being made wrong or how it's being made different. The, the story of who's making it, how did it get here? All of that to me leads to the romance behind the wine. It's yeah. the story of the wine. So, And but- for me too, there's also... That, I mean, once we've had a couple of glasses and the alcohol is loosening us up a little bit and, you know, there's the connection between drinking wine and poetry and, you know, we, we, we can converse a little bit better and a little bit looser when we've had <laughs> a glass of wine or two. And there are so many beautiful quotes about wine is bottled poetry and that there are there's this loosening of the mind um, and loosening of the intellect after we've had some wine that I think is a really beautiful part of this idea of the romance of wine, because I feel like there are other alcoholic beverages that maybe make you feel a little bit different. Like they never talk about the romance of tequila, (laughs) romance of vodka. But there is this perception that drinking wine makes you happier and kind of more lovable and, you know, loving your your fellow humans and having that buildup of relationship and conviviality that all gets tied to food and wine and putting all of those things together. So I think that that is also a big part of the romance of wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us every week on Franklin Public Radio 102.9. And you can find more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. I can be found at commonwealthwineschool.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. And we are going to touch on one of Mark's favorite topics. Even though we are in the dead of winter, we are going to be talking about wine and pairing with yummy foods. And in this case, it's ice cream. (laughs) Yeah. You love the uh, you love the the wine and sweets pairings with you and your Girl Scout cookies and cupcakes and whoopie pies. And now we've got ice cream. Yeah. And the listeners know we like to do things a little different here in the wine world. And, and ice cream right now is probably, you know, what people are probably not thinking about pairing with wine. But I thought the wine enthusiast had a great article how to look at this, Kim. And what did you think as far as their take on do you think this is gross, Kim, as far as trying to pair a wine with an ice cream or? Um, not gr- not gross, um, because we certainly have so much history and experience with pairing wine with cheese. And, you know, if you think about ice cream and other dairy based products, I mean, yes, it's frozen and yes, it's sweet. But I don't think that the fact that it's a cold 
treat should change the idea that, you know, that this has a lot of the ingredient components that otherwise really go very well with wine. So I might not necessarily be all on board with pairing particularly sweet foods like ice cream with wine, but I'm keeping an open mind because I have to say that recently I've been trying new combinations of wines and foods and some things have really been surprising me. And so, you know, I'm learning about myself that I need to keep a a little bit more of an open mind about some of these pairings. So let's go for it. Yeah, well, our listeners probably know that there's a lot of ice creams that can be topped with liquors out there, right? I yes. mean, you see that all the time, but yep. this article was drawing attention to, so why can't we pair it with wine if we can top it with liquor, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you had mentioned, Kim, the frozen, I mean, it's a frozen food. And the key in all of this is to serve the ice cream where it's a little softened up so that the ice cream flavors can come out a little bit more. The aromas of like, same when we talk about the wine to not serve it too cold, that it can open up a little bit. You can get some aromas out of it. The same things with the texture of the the ice cream. When it's a little soft, it pairs a little better with the wine. And 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 for me, that is so, such an intuitive point, but that I never would have probably come up with on my own. Like, it's like, once I read that, I was like, oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Like this follows the same sets of guidelines that we generally give for food and wine pairings. And it was like, oh, well, of course, (laughs) you know, have it a little bit, you know, not super, super, super cold. And you will get so much more of those flavors. I'm glad you said that because I want to pick out another thing I never thought of that made perfect sense to me too. It was a little later on in the article, but it said, have fun with adding textures to the ice cream. So if the ice cream has add-ins like nuts or candies or something like that, that also plays into how you would pair it with the wine. Right. And I, ne- I never thought of that. I'm just thinking the overall flavor of the ice cream. I'm not thinking what the add-ins would be and how that would add yeah. texture that would go along with the wine that you're pairing it with. Yeah. There was one ice cream that was mentioned in the article that was, um, it had like cookie bits in it. And it yep. made me think of our Girl Scout cookie pairing <laughs> class that we did many, many years ago. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, that little bit of crunch and that that differentiation of textures, because not only is the wine and the ice cream going to have a different texture from each other, but then you're absolutely correct. You add in that other layer and it just, it adds more interest. Was that the Italian butter cookie ice cream? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, wow. This is so good. Cause you're working right into with the notes I had. They paired that with Pinot Noir, correct? Um, I thought they paired it with a rosé. I could be wrong. Let me see. Whatever they paid. Oh, no, it was your no Pinot Noir Rosé. So we're both right. Why does this work? Why does that work? Do you feel Italian butter cookie? Right. To me, it's a little creamy. And it's obviously, uh, I would assume, a vanilla ice cream. Right. Yeah. See, I can get the cookie, the butter cookie and the Pinot Noir. I'm I'm still a little on the fence with a dry wine and a sweet ice cream, but I get the the cookie flavor, because sometimes in Pinot Noirs, especially ones that maybe have just a touch of barrel aging, that little bit of vanilla, it's not an overwhelming flavor in the wine. If it's done right, I feel like the balance between the berry fruit of the Pinot and the slight touch of oak from the barrel 
you get this really nice blending of flavors. And I think that's what they're going for here so that the cookie will highlight that little touch of vanilla that's been extracted from the oak barrel in the wine. Yeah. So to, to me, like you said, they're playing on the vanilla of the Pinot yeah. with maybe yep. the vanilla ice cream versus the butteriness. I was thinking you'd go with something creamy to go with the butteriness of the, the butter cookie, but I like the way they went with that. And you mentioned uh, dry wines, Kim, and they had mentioned that dry wines work very well if the ice cream has a savory flavor. So thinking of that, what ice cream would you think has a savory flavor? Are you thinking something like, uh, like uh, I don't know, what's the, something so that's kind of funky fewer, flavors? There were fewer funky flavors in the American ice cream market than there are now. You know, we've had much more of an influence of flavors from Asia, flavors from other parts of the world that have worked their way into our ice cream flavors. Like you see matcha green tea all over the place. You see olive oil ice cream from Southern Italy. There are herb ice creams. I've seen like sun-dried tomato ice cream. Like there are all of these other flavors that are really bringing in a savory note that I think now it it's it's interesting. There are, you know, there are these flavors that are really very wine friendly flavors. So sure, let's let's try a few. So they've mentioned some other kind of out there ice creams with pa- with uh, wine pairings and one of them was the Ben and Jerry's half baked which <laughs> is a chocolate <laughs> vanilla so <laughs> fudge brownie type of It's ice got brownies cream. and I think it's also got cookie dough in it. It's really good. And they paired that with a late bottle vintage port mm-hmm. which it goes on that sweet type of thing. With, with a right. pairing. And they mentioned a coffee ice cream with a Solera Sherry. Yep. Was another one, which I think works well. Yep. I would do that. They said coffee or a nut-based ice cream. Yep. I think something like a pistachio ice cream yeah. with a sweeter so, sherry would be really good. And Or if it's a nutty ice cream, a tawny port would work very well, I think. I bet that well. would be lovely. And it would come, you know, it's something with that is it warms up your palate. That tawny with a higher fortified wine, it kind of warms up your palate and then it hits you with the coolness of the of the ice cream. I think mm-hmm. that kind of works of the kind of the temperature difference in your mouth as well. It, what I like meant- about this article, too, is that they focused on wines with some sweetness in them to go with the ice creams. And that for me is really what's going to make it because you know, those drier wines, those more tannic wines, they even mentioned that they they tried a few of those and that it, it just was a complete disaster. So I really like that they're exploring the different flavor profiles that are available in sweeter wines. And sometimes I think consumers think about sweet wine as just being kind of monochromatic. You know, they all are just sugar and not necessarily have different flavors with them, but there is a really nice variety of sweet wines out there. So you've got some that are nutty, some that are caramelly, some that are fruity, some that are different types of fruit. So I especially like that they talked about like Brichetto and Madeira and all of these other like really, honestly, really yummy things out there. The Brichetto, they said with a berry or chocolate ice cream, for me, that is perfect with the strawberry ice cream. Yeah. Brichetto and chocolate is really surprisingly good together. So like a chocolate, like a chocolate tort or like a, um, like a triple chocolate ice cream with Brichetto, I bet would be wonderful. Sounds good. Yeah. Did you have any, after you read this article that 
you thought of pairing things with? Because I, I wrote down a couple that I thought of ice creams that would pair well with, hmm. with wines. No, I didn't really I didn't really get creative in my own brain. So I'm I'm very interested to hear. Actually, no, that's not. I have one. I want to hear what, what you have to say. Well, one of my favorite ice creams is kind of, it's a definitely a seasonal ice cream. It's eggnog ice cream. And we Ooh. just passed all that. But I have my stash. Nice. It should last me for a little bit. But for me, and I did this one, Kim, eggnog ice cream with Vinsanto. Oh, I bet that wine. would be good. It, yeah. it really, the creaminess of the eggnog ice cream and with the texture of that dessert wine was, was just great. Well, one of these- think of? One of these made me think, so there was one ice cream that was mentioned that I think was made with goat cheese to do like a savory. And then I was thinking that a more custard-based ice cream would have that. And maybe it's similar to your eggnog ice cream. You know, if you have an ice cream that's got an egg base to it and it's a little bit richer and a little bit creamier, it would almost hit your palate more like brie cheese. And then you could do something that has more of a creamy flavor and a caramelly sort of flavor, creamy texture to it. So something like a um, a Sauterne or one of those sherries would probably be really nice as a not only a flavor pairing, but also a, a different textural pairing. So nothing. So any ice cream pairings that you thought you were talking earlier about the Pinot Noir, any others you thought of would work with a dry wine? Because you always Not go really. to that, you always go to that sweet food. I know. I always go to the sweet. I just, about, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around the idea of a dry wine and a sweet ice cream. I feel like it would just make the the wine taste kind of terrible. Really? What about this? This is another mm, one I had. Oh, okay. Cherry Garcia with a Valpolicella. No, I'm not going there. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, the cherry. So the cherry in it and the Valpolicella, absolutely. But, but not the sweetness. What about if it was with an Amarone? Mm. A little more alcohol, a little more. Can you know? I pair it with a port instead? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm trying to get okay. you over okay. on that Okay, Amarone, side, but... all right, maybe. I would, you know what? I would be more likely to try it with an Amarone, and that could be a successful pairing. Okay. All right, I'm keeping keeping an open you mind. Are, you I'm are. I'm keeping an open mind. I would try minded it. this year with, with pairings. We're starting out the year good because... Uh, you are getting more open-minded with my stupid suggestions at times. No, you know, yeah. it's finally like the light bulb went off in my head with a spicy red wine and spicy food. Like See? you've been telling me for years to do that. And I finally did it. And I'm like, Mark is right. This is a great <laughs> combination. So I'm going to continue to keep an open mind. Oh, I'm glad. So <laughs> not the time of year, but. You know, we love talking about pairings and uh, but we're New Englanders and New Englanders eat ice cream all year long. So yeah. go get yourself a Sunday, maybe a glass of sweet wine. See what happens. Thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you want more information about Kim, please go to her website at CommonwealthWineSchool.com. For more information about myself, please go to FranklinLiquors.com. We're here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. If you want our past episodes, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Cheers. Why, why, why?